welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning. It is such a joy for my wife, Meg, and me to be with you all. Thank you for your your warm welcome. It's a delight to be here. It was great to be with those who are uh, being confirmed and received uh, last night. Thank you for that hospitality. It was a delight to be there. Um, I want to give public thanks to God uh, for for your priest, Father, Father Morgan. Morgan, I... I praise God for your faithful and godly leadership, for your passion to preach and disciple people in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, Planting a church in a pandemic has got to be about as tough as it gets in ordained ministry. (laughs) And through it all, you have been so very prayerful and creative and wise and persevering. God bless you. You're doing a wonderful job. And so is your bride back there. I'm I'm looking at (laughs) You're a great team, you two. And Father Ryan, um, I'm so blessed to see you thriving as a part of this wonderful ministry team. You and Christy are a delight as well. And it's just joy to to see you serving so faithfully. Thank you so much. Um, And to Andrew and indeed the whole team, all of you who serve in so many ways. This is a roll-up-your-sleeves kind of church, um, and everybody I know has, has an important part, and I'm just so thankful. People, I go all over our diocese, and people are always saying, what's happening in our diocese, how are things going? And I brag about you all the time. I'm always telling people about what God is doing through you all and the way you have so creatively um, moved forward, even in the challenges of, of COVID. So thank you for your, for your wonderful faithfulness. And I bring you greetings from our Archbishop, um, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America sends his, his warm greetings to you all. Well, this morning... Several adults and one young person are being confirmed and received. They are reaffirming the commitments and vows made at their baptism, and they're seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live as faithful followers of Jesus. Now, the word confirmation is not in the Bible, but the practice of confirmation is in the Bible. There are, in fact, a number of important words that we use that are not in the Bible. Most famously, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the doctrine, the message of the Trinity very much is. Jesus, after all, tells us to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity may not be there, but the reality of the Trinity is. So it shouldn't bother us, therefore, that um, some other words aren't there. For example, I say personally, the word grandfather is not in the Bible. But there are lots of grandfathers in the Bible. Just so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. But they just don't happen to use our word for it. And similarly, the word confirmation is not in the Bible. But the practice of confirmation is. For example, in 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes to Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That was Timothy's confirmation when Paul the Apostle laid hands on Timothy to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, that was not Timothy's ordination as a priest. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul speaks to Timothy about the time when the council of elders laid hands on Timothy, which has always been the way uh, that the church has ordained priests. Both the bishop and all the other priests join in laying hands on the, the new priest. No, but in 2 Timothy, Paul speaks about the time when he alone laid hands on Timothy. And interestingly, that doesn't also seem to be the time when Timothy first became a Christian. Because it appears from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy was already a disciple when Paul met him. Paul wrote Timothy that his, the Christian faith was first in his grandmother and then in his mother and then in him. And it seems quite possible that it was his mother and grandmother who led him to Christ um, and not Paul. And yet Paul knew that even though Timothy was already a committed believer, it was important that he as the apostle or in our context, the bishop would lay hands on Timothy for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and that's what we call confirmation. And so this is a very biblical thing to do. It's what Christians have been doing for over 2,000 years. Hands are laid on and the gospel faithfully passed on all the way from the apostles until today. Down through the centuries, the bishops of the church, whom we understand to be successors to the apostles. It's an amazing ancient pattern and it's an incredible privilege for me as your bishop uh, to lay hands on you who are reaffirming your faith in Christ today. Well, let's turn to the scriptures. <clears throat> You're in a sermon series on nations and neighborhoods and how God desires to use us to touch the lives of those around us, drawing them toward the Savior who loves them and the Savior who longs to touch them and transform their lives. Now, have you ever said to yourself, if only I'd been there with Jesus, I'd be so much stronger as a Christian. If only I'd been there when Jesus healed the sick, what, what great faith I'd have. If only I'd been there and walked on water with him, you know, what boldness I'd have in serving Jesus. If only I'd been there when Jesus explained the scriptures, what insight and understanding I'd have. If only I'd been there when Jesus rose from the dead, you know, what certainty I'd have about the faith. If only Jesus would just appear to me in my bedroom at night, I'd be a powerhouse for God. There, there'd be no holding me back. You ever thought things like that? Well, I know I have. The problem with all of that is it's not true. Experiencing all of those things firsthand would not make you the Christian that you want to be or the Christian that God wants you to be. Jesus' closest friends, his apostles, experienced all of those things. They were there when Jesus healed the sick. They experienced the miracles. They heard him explain the scriptures. They saw him risen from the dead and had him appear to them directly. 
But then Jesus said, no, you need more. You need the Holy Spirit. We heard in our gospel reading how the Holy Spirit was so powerfully at work in Jesus himself. In just this one chapter, Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the very verse that Jesus took as the text of his very first sermon was, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And friends, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? You see, believing in Jesus isn't enough to enable us to live the life God intends for us. Even seeing Jesus face to face wouldn't be enough. We need the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. As we say in the Nicene Creed, he is the Lord, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. Some think of the Holy Spirit more as an impersonal force, like The Force in Star Wars. You know, they've been making Star Wars movies for almost 45 years. Several generations have been taught much more about the Force than they have about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is not like the Force. The Force is said to have a light side and a what? A dark side, right. But in God, the Bible says, in him there is no darkness at all. And the Force is impersonal like a magnetic field. But the Holy Spirit is personal. We can know the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can experience intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. The Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us. Here are some of the ways. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That means the Holy Spirit shows us where we have fallen short of what God desires for us so that we can turn and be forgiven. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, helping us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God so that we can confess Jesus as our Lord and become a Christian. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ and makes us members of one another in the body of Christ, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We heard about that in our reading today from 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence that we belong to Christ and assurance that we will be with him for all eternity. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. Particularly, the Holy Spirit teaches us by illuminating the Bible as we read it. After all, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible writers in what they wrote. So having the author living within us helps us to understand it. It's a marvelous thing. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, making us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit, that is, changes our character to be more Christ-like, bringing forth in us what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit which is love and joy and peace, patience and kindness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts 
supernatural abilities to enable us to do whatever God wants us to do. Gifts like teaching and administration and healing and serving and miracles and wisdom. The Holy Spirit equips us to tell others about Jesus, to witness to the transformation that he's done in our own life so that others will be drawn to Christ as well. And the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, guiding us in how, how to pray, empowering us so that our weak prayers are effective and through them God will accomplish his purposes. All of these things are what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us, in our own life and in the lives of others. Now, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but we still need the Holy Spirit. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we're also to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That means if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But there's more. There's more power to enable us to live the life we long to live. There's more power to enable us to triumph over adversity and temptation. There's more power to enable us to reach out to our neighbors and make a difference in the world around us. See, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples on Easter night and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't immediately tell them to go out and tell everyone else the amazing news that he was alive. No, Jesus said first they needed to receive the Holy Spirit's power. And so Jesus tells them, wait, there's more. And don't leave town without it. Well, actually, that's a paraphrase. What he said was, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then what a difference the Holy Spirit made. What a difference between the apostles on their own and the apostles renewed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite stories. On March 28, 1990, Chicago Bulls basketball legend Michael Jordan scored 69 points in a single game. The Bulls lead was so big that in the final minute, Coach Phil Jackson put into the game Stacy King, a seldom used rookie substitute. King scored two meaningless free throws. Some years later, King was asked by a reporter, what has been the highlight of your career? To which King replied, it must have been the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 71 points. <laughs> I think the Apostle Peter must have felt the same way. On his own, he was a failure, a coward, a broken sinner who had betrayed his Lord. But restored by Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter brought thousands to repentance and faith. Yes, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but all Christians need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled and filled again and again because, as many have pointed out, apparently we leak. <laughs> 
You see, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost like a mighty rushing wind, like a tornado blowing through the temple. The Holy Spirit filled them and empowered them. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. But then turn the page to Acts chapter 4, and it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And then turn the page again, and we read that when they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled and filled and filled again. And that rings so true to me out of my own experience because I was one of those breathed on Holy Spirit Christians and definitely not a mighty rushing wind Holy Spirit Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents who showed me the love of Jesus when I was very small. And I knew that I belonged to Jesus and I knew that I wanted to live for him and serve him. But the church I grew up in never taught me about the Holy Spirit. And I really wasn't taught the scriptures as I should have been. So I didn't know the truth about life in the Holy Spirit. And because I didn't find the reality of the supernatural presence and power of God in the church, I began looking elsewhere. Spiritually speaking, like the country music song, I, went, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I got involved in things that we would now call the New Age movement, astrology and numerology and mind sciences and so on. In college, I took transcendental meditation training of Maharish, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. That's where you are given a mantra to repeat over and over again. Now, they told me that this was, had no spiritual content. It was just a relaxation technique. That was a lie. The mantra they gave me was the name of a Hindu deity who is a demon. Let me tell you that inviting a demon into your life over and over and over and over and over again is not a good thing to do. Don't do that. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I wasn't rebelling against the Lord. I just didn't know any better. I hadn't been taught. I was yearning, more of, I was yearning for more of the reality of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've since renounced all that and been set free, don't worry. When, when the Lord called me to ordain ministry, um, I went before the standing committee of our diocese as a very young and naive kid. They asked me all kinds of questions, and when they got through, they asked me if I had any questions of them. To show you what a young, naive kid I was, I thought that mean that I got to ask them questions. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, I've got a question. Why is it that we pray to God the Father, through God the Son, seem to leave God the Holy Spirit out of it completely? Dead silence. Awkward silence for a long time. Clergy sort of needed to look under the table to get their briefcase and not make eye contact. And finally, a lay member of the standing committee said, well, sounds like you've asked a good question. Maybe you'll go to seminary and learn the answer and come back and tell us. Well, I went to seminary and I did not learn the answer to my question. I read a lot of books on theology, but you can appreciate I really wasn't asking some esoteric question about the history of Anglican liturgics. I was hungry for an authentic encounter with the reality and power and presence of God. And when I got to seminary, what I learned was not how to experience the reality of the Holy Spirit. What I was taught was that the Holy Spirit was controversial. I was told, John, there are people who are into that sort of thing, and we are not among them. <laughs> you don't want nothing to do with that. And I bought it. 
I remember as a senior in seminary, I was on the admissions committee, and a couple came applying for admission. I interviewed them, and they were clear in their story that for them, the Holy Spirit was living reality. And to my shame, I told them, you don't really belong at this seminary. You shouldn't come here. I'm embarrassed that I said it, but that's what I did. I didn't know any better. Well, you can probably appreciate that none of that didn't make my hunger or questions go away. I was still yearning for more of God. And it wasn't until I was ordained and came to Virginia that I really met people who were living and walking in the Spirit. People who introduced me to the reality and presence of life in the Holy Spirit. And by God's grace... He brought me to that place where I was prepared to kneel and ask a wonderful woman I knew, an older lay woman whom I knew and respected, uh, to pray for me, to be filled and empowered afresh by the Holy Spirit. And it changed my life. At that point, I'd been ordained for four years. And as much as I had yearned for people to come to Christ, no one had ever come to Christ through anything I had done or anything I had said. But when I surrendered afresh to the Lord, God touched me and filled me with his Holy Spirit, and things began to change. Though I didn't know any more than I did before, nothing was outwardly different, the Lord began to work through me in new and deeper ways. People, uninvited, started to come into my microscopic little office, fall on their knees, and ask to give their life to the Lord. Nothing in my liberal seminary training had trained me for such a moment. The first time it happened, it actually tried to get the person to postpone it because I really had no idea what to do or how to be helpful. See, I knew that it wasn't me doing this. It was the Holy Spirit at work through me. Friends, the Lord is so good. The Lord empowers us to do everything he asks us to do. He never intends for us to fulfill our purpose in life through our own power and strength. In fact, God never asks us to do anything without giving us the tools and the power to accomplish it. Corpus Christi is called to reach this community and beyond with the transforming love of Jesus Christ. But don't for a minute think you can do it without the fullness of of the Holy Spirit. So to you who are receiving the laying on of hands today, and indeed to all of you, open your heart again today to God the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, fill each of us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's now take a moment to be silent before the Lord as we've heard from his Holy Spirit. Consider what we've heard from his Holy Spirit and we'll respond by confessing our faith together in just a moment through the Nicene Creed. Let us confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 
begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated as I invite uh, Christy that way up first. And then Andrew will have a moment after her just to share briefly about their testimony of coming to this point of being received into the church. Good morning, everybody. So when I look back on my early life, I can see glimpses of the foundation to my spiritual journey, though it kind of snuck up on me, and I came to faith the year after I graduated college. I was raised in a mostly culturally Catholic and lovely family, and as I got older, I would have described myself as spiritual but not religious. What a fancy phrase. When I graduated college in 2006, a couple hard things really came to a head for me. A friend of mine passed away from cancer. I started struggling with really deep anxiety attacks, and my 10-year battle with an eating disorder really got out of control. I think this is how God knew how to make me open. And so one night, I was actually out at a bar in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I met a nice guy who asked what I did on the weekends and if I wanted to go to church with him. So the Holy Spirit truly can sneak up on us. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully, I was feeling vulnerable, and I think just knew something needed to change, so I was open to accept his kind offer. And it was at this church that I encountered a really different God than I had ever been presented with or experienced, and found an authentic and powerful way to engage in faith that was new to me. And this is really where I think I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time. It was also at this church that I recovered from my eating disorder, and God really rebuilt me and helped me to find my new identity in Christ and my true identity in Christ and heal from all the lies that I'd been believing for many years. The city church where I came to faith actually had Anglican roots. I found my way to my first Anglican church the week I moved here in 2011 and joined within a matter of months. It just felt like home. I loved being an accidental Anglican, some of you might agree, and I feel grateful for the depth of faith and this tradition that I've experienced these last 10 plus years. It's still very funny to me that I married an Anglican priest. A lot of my friends are a little surprised. Um, But, you know, the Holy Spirit works in all different ways, and I think we can't ever be too surprised by God's redemptive work. So I'm very excited to take this step of being received and continuing my work in ministry, both at Rock Recovery, the nonprofit where I get to lead, and here at Corpus Christi Anglican. Um, So I was born in and lived in Bolivia until the age of seven. 
while my parents were serving as missionaries and planting a church in the area where we lived. Um, after moving to the U.S. as a pastor's kid, I was involved in Mennonite churches uh, where my dad pastored in Texas and Arizona. I knew early on from these experiences that God loves me and that Jesus is the ultimate model for how God wants me to live my life. And at the age of 13, I chose to be baptized. As an adult, um, God has been guiding my decisions about marriage, career, parenting, where I will attend church, and how to invest in and find a place in the church communities that I've been a part of. Uh, First Community Mennonite Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, Then Restoration Anglican Church, and now Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And I'm continually reminded the Lord is with me, even during times when I have experienced disappointment and the brokenness of the church or, um, and other challenging seasons of life. Um, I desire to be received into the Anglican Church because this is where the Lord has led me, where I've invested my time, treasure, and talents, and where I envision myself and family being a part of Christian community and growing spiritually for the foreseeable future.